1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today we're going to discuss life's greatest unsolved mystery namely, is there life after death? And from this question, there arise many more, such as why are we here? Do we have a purpose on this earth? Does our consciousness survive death? Can we return? We're very excited to have with us today Stephen Hawley Martin, author of a number of bestsellers on Amazon and former principal of the Martin Ad Agency in Richmond, Virginia, the agency that gave us the Geico Lizard and Virginia is for Lovers, which a lot of states have copied since, among other notables. Of those books, I will add, is one of my favorites, Life After Death, Powerful Evidence, You Will Never Die. Stephen, it's great to have you with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. From your podcast and blog, I gather you're a man on a mission. You want to help people everywhere know and accept the truth about life. You've spent years interviewing near-death survivors, psychics, and researchers about the nature of reality and getting proof of life after death. And if that isn't a mouthful for you to pick up on, there never will be one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's true that that I am a man on a mission, and... uh... Part of the big part of that mission is to convince everybody that they are spiritual beings that are eternal and uh, that they will never die. Their consciousness will live on after, uh, after their physical, this, you know, particular life in this particular body is, is all over with. Um, They'll continue on. And there's a lot of evidence to, to support that contention, for example, right here in Virginia at the University of Virginia they've been studying children's memories of past lives for about 60 years and they've got uh, over 2500 cases that they've investigated and most of them they have quote solved is what they call it when they find a uh, person in uh, who's passed on who meets the description that the child has uh, given of his past life and people who who he uh, lived with and, uh, and, uh, what he did. And yeah, something like 2,500 of those. They also, uh, have been studying near death experiences. And, uh, one of the, one of the, probably most of your listeners know about Evan Alexander, who is a uh, brain surgeon, a uh, proof, yeah, of, proof heaven. of heaven, that yeah. book he, uh, was a scientific materialist, like most scientists used to be. Many of them are, are waking up to the reality that uh, there is much more to reality than uh, material substance, matter. Uh, and in fact, uh, many scientists now believe that consciousness is the ground of being, that everything is contained within and comes from consciousness that uh, that is the unified field uh, would be the way they would put it. But uh, uh, the, ancient, uh, the ancient Indians back in uh, 4,000 years ago, the Rishis who were the founders of the Hindu religion uh, believed that Veda was the ground of being. And if you really investigate what they're talking about, when they're talking about Veda, they're talking about consciousness. And there are, Uh, quantum physicists who believe that they were right and, but they of course don't call it Veda or consciousness. They call it the unified field.
1: So how would you best explain that to our listeners? If you were just trying to describe
0: uh, consciousness
1: as separate from the soul?
0: Well, consciousness is, uh, is what it is consciousness. That's what you and I are experiencing right now when we're looking at each other through these computer screens, uh, the soul is really, uh, could also be defined as the subconscious mind of each individual that has developed over many lifetimes. And uh, that is mind. The difference between consciousness and mind is that uh, mind is something that can be observed by consciousness. You can, I believe, tell me if you can't, <laughs> sort of step back and even observe your own thoughts. That's consciousness observing your mind, and uh, that consciousness is universal. It's the same consciousness that every living thing has, and you and me and uh, cats and dogs and elephants, that, that consciousness is one consciousness that, that we all share. We each have a different mind, we each have a different soul, we, we feel like we're different. The particular uh, reality that we're in right now, that's that's really uh, what we are going to find out or pe- finding out more and more is not true. We're not all separate. We're all connected at that that ground of being of mind. Where is the evidence that
1: consciousness is not confined? Well, it's not only not
0: confined. It is not... Uh, you're... The the brain is a receiver of consciousness. This is the conclusion that uh, the University of Virginia School of Medicine, the the Department of Perceptual Studies has come to after the 60 years of research that they've done. Uh, One thing would be what we've already talked about, which are the children's memories of past lives. Uh, They remember past lives that have checked out in in terms of uh, researching that and seeing if what the child said was true. And so the brain certainly does not store memories. If if somebody has a memory from a past life, uh, their body died, and there was a time between uh, when that body lived and the next, and when the child was born again in another body. So the brain doesn't store memories. It doesn't store consciousness because uh, many of these children report. Uh, memories of what went on between lives. Uh, In near-death experiences, for example, uh, someone may die on the operating table, at least for a time. They're clinically dead. They leave their body. They can see what's going on in the operating room. There's one classic uh, case of that where a woman named Pam Reynolds had two aneurysms that were if one of them broke, it was in her brain, uh, in her head, and if one of any one of them broke, uh, she'd have been dead. So they did some radical surgery where they actually shut down her body, drained the blood from her body, and opened her skull and, and fixed those aneurysms. They couldn't do that while there was blood in her body going through those veins. And so there she was, a cadaver, on the operating table, and she was able to describe what the doctor was doing, what the nurses were doing, what they were saying to one another. Then eventually she went through the tunnel, you know, in the classic uh, near-death experience and met with some uh, relatives that had gone on before her, before she came back to her body and was revived. So uh, there is a lot of evidence that uh, the brain is a receiver. It, it receives your consciousness, which is non-local and it integrates it with your body. It enables you to operate in this reality, this physical 3D reality that we're in. But there are other realities that are non-physical that we inhabit between lives and where we go at night when we go to sleep and have dreams. And, and this idea that the, that the mind and the body, uh, the, the consciousness and the body and the mind and the body are separate is not a new idea. It goes back, you know, to the to 4,000 years at least. And it's only really come about in the last 150, 160 years that uh, scientists have believed that the brain creates consciousness. And yet, not one scientist, not no one has ever been able to figure out how that happens, how the brain creates consciousness. In fact, uh, scientists call it the hard problem. It's the hard problem because it, it's, first of all, not true.
1: <laughs> it exists outside, it exists outside the, brain. the brain. Exactly. Yep. there was a book, uh, Thomas Chagru, I think, wrote a book called There Is a River. And it was a very accurate description of Casey's readings about consciousness. Yeah. And Casey believes that there was a river of consciousness that we all have access to and that and it's from that river that we gain our consciousness it exists it always has it always will it contains all past all future do you pretty much agree with that assessment
0: yeah what casey was able to access apparently is called the the akashic records the akasha which yes. is the i would call it uh, the collective consciousness that carl jung talked about and theorized about that is the memories of everyone who has ever lived, every thought, everything that's ever happened is part of that uh, collective consciousness that exists. And Casey went into a trance, self-induced trance, twice a day for many, many years where he answered every, any question that anybody gave to him. Uh, m- most of the people that came to him were having physical uh, medical problems that uh, doctors weren't able to solve. And so in that case, when someone came to him like that, he actually was able to access that person's subconscious mind because everything about you is in your subconscious mind. If you could bring it out, you would find out why it is that you have whatever particular problem. Many people, and the reason that Casey uh, started talking about reincarnation was that often people's problems come from a prior life. They might have a phobia, for example, about water, and because they drowned in their prior life, or it could be Mm -hmm. uh, some other kind of issue that they've had that that keeps repeating life after life. And they, uh, for example, there there was a there's a doctor called uh, what was his name Weiss. Uh, I can't think of his first name right now, but he was he's a psychiatrist. He's still around, and he was a traditional scientist had a, uh, a patient who he was regressing, using hypnotism to regress back to her childhood to figure out why she had a particular phobia. And he told her to go back to the time when this problem first occurred. And she went back to a life that took place over 3,500 years ago. <laughs> and he, of course, was flabbergasted. <laughs> but it's what she was talking about sounded like it could be real. And he, he kept going with it. And he really had to convince himself over a number of uh, sessions with this patient that she was in fact telling the truth about this past life. And she was able to be cured because she uh, she saw why she had the problem and was able to address it and, and, and overcome it. So uh, it's not, like I said, it's not a new idea. Shakespeare, for example, if you know that sol- soliloquy about uh, to be or not to be he's talking about whether he should uh, commit It's hamlet talking about whether he should commit suicide and he's just saying well no i'm I, if what is it to, to be or not to be that's the question whether it is in you know, a nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to bear arms against the sea of troubles and by pose them in it mm-hmm. what he's talking about is should Very i good. commit suicide And he's saying, well, maybe not, because I don't know what's going to happen afterwards. It could be worse than what I've got now.
1: We'll return to our interview right after these sponsor messages. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Rated PG 13, some material may be inappropriate
0: for children under 13.
1: And now, back to our interview with Stephen H. Martin. A, for University of Virginia, studies on uh, children's past lives. Uh, I guess it was retrogressive. Uh, well, I don't know if they did hypnosis on children. But no, no. At any rate, what are, what's at least one case that you recall that uh, was very, very uh, powerful well, from that? Perhaps the most powerful one is the, uh, the case of a
0: uh, child named uh, John Leninger. He, he was born to parents in Louisiana who were Southern Baptists. And he uh, when he was about two years old, 18 months, two years old, and this is typical of children who uh, remember past lives. That's about when they usually start when they begin talking is when they start talking about this past life. And this particular child, uh, John, had nightmares where he would be screaming at night and he would say, you know, plane on fire. little man can't get out, and, and so forth. And this went on, you know, several nights a week for a, for quite a while. And uh, his parents started, you know, asking him questions about it. And to make a long story short, he he described a life that ended uh, at the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II. He was a fighter pilot who was uh, driving, a, he was flying a, his plane off of an aircraft carrier there. And he was able to name the aircraft carrier. He said it was the Natoma. His father did the research and found out that there was an aircraft carrier called the Natoma Bay that was at Iwo Jima. He was able to to name uh, other pilots that he flew with. And uh, the parents were able to find those people were still alive. And he described how his plane was shot down and went in the water and the the pilots uh, that were on the same uh, mission with him in, a, in another plane saw that uh, that happened. He was hit by anti-aircraft fire right in the engine and the plane went down pretty quickly in flames as he described. So uh, he, his name was John Leninger in this life. He was uh, John Houston, in the previous life, uh, he was able to find relatives that were still alive. His sister, for example, when, and they met, and he went to a reunion of the Natoma Bay, which this was back in around the early 2000s. He's now about 20 years old, I believe he was born in uh, 1999, but hmm. he was uh, he met. Uh, the people that he'd been talking about, who were with him there on the ship. And one of the things he said was, "Gosh, they're they're so old now." So anyway, it uh, hmm. that that's a story that uh, the University of Virginia has investigated and verified. and uh, and there are many others, many others. As I said, they don't use hypnotism. Uh, children spontaneously start talking about these uh, past lives. and And their parents will uh, nowadays, because they have a website, often get get in touch with. I've interviewed Jim uh, Tucker, who's a a child psychiatrist, who's written two books about this. Uh, I've interviewed him twice. And he says that they have no trouble finding these cases now, that they really come to them through their website. Children starts talking about a past life. So there you go.
1: One of the one of the my favorite stories that I've ever researched and did for One Thousand One Heroes was oh, yeah. the story of Bridie Murphy. Uh, tremendous story of of reincarnation. Uh, I really did enjoy that one, and it had its it had its critics. But uh, I thought there was a lot to that story. About yeah, well, it. she very, very uh, fascinating. Bridie
0: Murphy. I do kind of remember that. That was a long time. That was back in the fifties, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Fifties. And because mm-hmm. I yep. remember my parents talking about that uh when i was growing up but there's a uh i'm sure you know glenn ford the uh actor glenn yes. ford yeah apparently uh was pl- going to play a psychic in a movie and he started doing some research about it and he did he went into past life regressions with hypnotism and he apparently hmm. uh learned that he had been a uh among other lives, he had uh, been a cavalry man in France back in the when they still had kings. And the amazing thing was he could speak French uh, when he was under the symbolism in this past life. Uh, And that's kind of like Brydie Murphy, who was able to speak whatever it was, uh, Gaelic or something like that, that she uh, uh, had uh, spoke it in that past life. He also had been a uh, music teacher uh, in Scotland, uh, Glenn Ford, and was, while under hypnotism, was able to play the piano, which he was unable to do normally. Wow. And uh, so, I mean, there are some interesting stories like that, uh, where uh, regression through hypnotism is used, and people are able to go uh, to these past lives and remember things and 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 have skills that uh, no, they no longer exist, but they can practice uh, while they're under hypnotism, believing that they're that person from that past life. And all those past lives would be part of this akashic field that we're talking about, the akasha.
1: Uh, it, it's all there. Um, one of the what was the what was the meaning of life according to Edgar Cayce? What was the meaning of life? Well.
0: Basically, uh, it is what life is about. It's, it's is evolution and that we are here to evolve. The earth is a school and uh, we come here to learn lessons. Sometimes we come because we have a particular mission to accomplish or, or something like that. But all of us come here to learn. It's a university. And uh, of course, Casey talked about karma People think of karma as uh, cause and effect as, you know, so you do something bad, something bad comes back to you. But it's really more than that. The way Casey explained it was, it's kind of like a memory. It's part of your psyche that you need to overcome. For example, would be, uh, say you're an individual who seems to always attract someone to you of the opposite sex, who doesn't treat you well, who's abusive. And where you have these bad relationships, well, it could be that you have a low opinion of yourself, and you attract others to you who have the same low opinion. One of the basic laws of metaphysics is like attracts like. So uh, you're you come into this life, perhaps like. Uh, the uh, lady that was in the psychiatrist where I talked about earlier, where she went back to 3,500 years ago, and you have the same problem over and over again. Well, you've got to figure out why you have it. You're attracting that to you uh, because of some reason, of some idea you have in your head that you need to overcome and and change. You need to change your belief. So in that case, you come into, into this life to learn that and overcome it. And uh, and then you can move on to a higher level of uh, development. So really the meaning of life is evolution. We're all evolving toward, and he would say this, and I think others uh, have the same idea that the idea is eventually we uh, return to and reunite with the, the source, with the creator. And we're on this evolutionary path toward that. And I've written one book. Uh, in fact, if people go to my website, shmartin.com, it's on the home page. It's my newest book that uh, talks about us being in a period of transition where we are learning that we're not really all separate, that we're, that we're all one, and we need to start behaving like that. And that is a, another stage toward this reunification with the uh, with the, with the source but we have we have a long 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 way to go before we
1: get there so there you go we need to be we, we need to be more like fish in a tank have you have you ever seen a, like a, let's take maybe 20 or thirty zebra fish in a tank and they're all facing in one direction which they normally do they're rarely looking at each other they're all like a little army facing in one direction in less than a second. They all turn. It's not well, like one saw the other do it. It's like it was like a stream of consciousness that goes between all these fish, and boom, they're headed the other direction. There, so there are amazing. a lot
0: of there are a lot of examples like that. And what it is, it is a uh, a unified consciousness that that school of fish has. And take ants, for example, who uh, build all kinds of tunnels and things under the uh, under the earth. Uh, there have been cases where they've done an experiment and have uh, the ants will tunnel to uh, and, and meet each other exactly in a certain place under the ground like they they know <laughs> where they are and who, where, where they're meeting up with their friends and uh so yeah That's pretty uh, neat hives and uh and groups you know flocks of birds all of them have a kind of a group consciousness That they uh, so you know when you see them flying over in their in perfect formation, uh, Mm -hmm. it's not just because they see each other; it's because they're kind of one uh, in that regard. So there you go.
1: What's your opinion on reincarnation? Do we reincarnate? Do you think? And if so, why?
0: Yeah, we reincarnate. We we uh,
1: all of us have
0: many many times. We uh, some more than others, but. I've, I know of several of my own past lives, uh, and, and, and some people do remember their past lives. Uh,
1: the reason well, you were, CEO, you were CEO of an ad agency in your past I life, did, weren't you? I did
0: that in a past life that, that I haven't, you know, <laughs> I had, haven't got any time between and in, in the, uh, non-physical realm from that one. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but, um, Yeah, we do over and over again. And the reason and one of the things is we have this veil of forgetting that we we had a past life or even why we came into it. I think that we 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 choose our parents to a certain extent, you know, whichever ones are available or the best out of the, you know, whatever's available. And we do that because we will create the circumstances that are going to help us do what we want to do in that life and maybe learn the lessons that we want to learn in that life. And uh, if you really will do some meditating, sometimes you can actually figure out why you're here and uh, what you're here to learn and and why you chose those parents, even though they weren't very nice to you sometimes. Uh, it, w- it was because it created lessons that you, you needed to learn and that you grow. We grow through difficulties, through facing hardships and overcoming them, and and, uh, and that's one of the things this reality has plenty of. There's, there's one uh, entity that was uh, channeled back in the early 80s called Ra, R-A, Ra, who said that this reality that we're in, this three-dimensional, uh, he called it, uh, what did he call it, um, third-density reality, is a hundred times more difficult than any other. The next one we're moving on to, fourth density is gonna be a whole lot better. And that's where we're gonna be realized that we're all one and that we're uh, uh, here to use our talents to help others, service to others is the idea. And, uh, but this one, we have lots, lots of psychological suffering, you know, where we, uh, what did the Buddha say? You. Uh, uh, you suffer because you don't accept what is. You know, we always want something different than what we have, and uh, and that's what part of this reality is all about. And the suffering we grow. What
1: is the law of one?
0: The law of one is the I mentioned the entity that was channeled in the eight 1980s, Ra, and it's Ra the law of one. He came through. A woman named Carla talked through her. There were three people involved. I can't remember all their names right offhand, but one of them was a PhD physicist. And he was interested in UFOs and was trying to contact uh, other, you know, extraterrestrials, I guess, to find out more. And what happened was that, that this entity came through uh, and, and they channeled him for a number of years. There are five books that have been written uh, that are basically the transcripts of the channeling sessions uh, with Ra. And he came through to, to explain to us the law of one, which is basically what I was saying at the beginning of our conversation, that all is one, that there's one consciousness in the universe that all of us share we're all one, all the law of one. And we think we're different because we have an ego that's developed over this lifetime and a uh, certain personality that has come about because of you know the nature and the nurture thing. And we have a subconscious mind that's been developed over many lifetimes. But we're all connected at the collective consciousness for our race, for this you know, world, and uh, and beyond that, we're we're all connected through this, the consciousness that we share. So that's basically the law of one. And what Ra said in the law of one channeling sessions was that we are in what he called third density, and that is the time in our evolution when we believe that we are separate entities rather than all one as we really are. And then let me quickly tell you what the different densities are. The first density is, is just matter. It's when, like a, think of a, the moon or some planet with no life on it. That's first density. Second density is, uh, a planet with life on it, but it's plant life and animal life. Third density where we are now, is a planet with plants and animals and self-aware life, life that can think about itself and kind of step outside itself and consider itself and talk about, you know, what's it all about, Alfie, like we're doing now. Then fourth density, and yet, but yet, we do think we're separate. We've developed egos through, egos developed really as a survival mechanism and the law of, you know, Survival of the fittest because we need, you know, we had to protect ourselves, protect our family, worry about where our next meal was coming from, all that sort of thing is part of what the ego does. And then, fourth density is when we realize that we're all one and we make a choice between uh, service to self, which would be what many politicians are thinking about, you know, how they're going to get elected, or service to others, which is using your talents and your gifts and, and what you do well to serve other people. Ra said that we would be transitioning into this fourth reality beginning in 2012. So we we've been at it now for nine years or so. And, hmm. and I think that part of all this chaos we see going on around us is, is part of,
1: is that transition. So you have a- I think we've done a thousand years before we get to the fourth dimension there.
0: Well, he said that it would take anywhere. It wouldn't. Wouldn't really take that. More like a hundred years or so. Uh, but we'll be in it hmm. for thousands of years uh, once hmm. we do make the transition. So I don't know. I think hundred years seems pretty quick. But I hope he's right. Uh, I don't. I probably won't be around since. Maybe I'll be around again. By the time that happens, so yeah, yeah. so at fifth fifth density is where we concentrate on wisdom, gaining wisdom. And uh, it's the last density where we are in physical bodies. Sixth density is where we combine fourth and fifth and uh, wisdom with the uh, idea that we're all one and you know doing to others as you would have others doing to you. And seventh density is when is the return to the creator. So, and then we probably have an eighth where we start all over again and do it again. But, um, so that's kind of, that's what Ra came to, to tell us. And apparently another
1: name for the sun God, isn't it Ra?
0: Well, isn't that the, uh, he, he, he said Egyptian sun God. Now you have to realize Ra is, Yeah, I'm going to answer your question. Yes it was the sun god and it is the same entity according to him that he uh ra was is a civilization really when you get up to sixth density and so forth we sort of combine we each have our own awareness or consciousness but we're all kind of one entity he called it a uh let me think now a uh, social memory complex he is a, Ra is a social memory complex. He is a civilization that lived on, now get this, the planet Venus a couple of billion years ago. Now it's interesting that in the last oh, uh, six months or a year, NASA has come out and said that Venus could have supported life a couple of billion years ago, that it had liquid water, the right kind of atmosphere and so forth. So it's quite possible. But he came, Ra came to the Egyptians a couple of thousand years ago, uh, to give them the Law of One, he says he also told them how to build the pyramids and uh, and but mainly his he was to give them the Law of One and also to teach them some uh, things about how to live longer. They were only they had an average lifespan of only about 30 years or something, and that wasn't long enough to really develop your uh, spirituality or whatever. So, but he came back again in the 80s, he says, because the the uh, Egyptians screwed it up. They, did, they uh, didn't uh, follow what he said, you know, so he's crying again. And if anybody's mm-hmm. interested in all that, there is a website. I think it's lawofone.info, but I'm not sure. I'm sure you could Google it, where you could actually listen to the channeled sessions and uh, read the uh, books for free. I think you could maybe download the PDFs. Of course, you can also buy them on Amazon. Uh, Raw, the law of one. It's the uh, raw material. There are five books
1: in all. That's that's, that's pretty much
0: what Raw is all about. And the law of one. Interesting.
1: When I interviewed the gentleman at Casey, um, one of them, a psychiatrist, nice guy, offered to give me hypnotic regression and take me back a few thousand years. Uh, at the time, I kind of, I said, I'll think about it. And of course, it's three years later, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> it sounds like you, it sounds like you have gone through it. What, were you a I, Cooper in Williamsburg or does it go back to uh, Aztec times?
0: Well, my, me, my, my past lives, uh, the, the couple that I know about are, one, I kind of remember is World War II, I believe I was a uh, fighter pilot who was shot down, but I was also a soldier in the Napoleonic Wars, a Russian soldier. And I do have some memories from that. And uh, hmm. I also have a vague rem- memory of a life in Spain and about the, well, the Napoleonic Wars would have been the early 19th century about a century before that I believe I was in Spain I also have some memories from uh a life in France long time ago whenever the druids were and one in uh, China according to a psychic who did a reading on me uh I was a holy man in in uh, China about 750 BC so I don't know it's uh some of the memories are pretty vivid, but they're just fractions of you know not a whole life. I can't uh, uh, say that I can remember the whole thing, but just pieces of it. And you probably you the psychiatrist or psychologist yeah. was, was it Peter Woodbury because yeah. i it, yeah, yeah, it
1: was Peter yes,
0: yeah, I interviewed him uh, uh, a while back. He was very knowledgeable on all that. Uh, Casey stuff. I also interviewed um, um, Kevin Todesky, who's the CEO of the RE. And about 10 or 15 years ago, I interviewed Edgar Evans Casey, who was this son of uh, Edgar Casey. I think he he died a few years back. He was 95 when he died. He was in his 90s when I, I believe. Uh, So yeah, uh, Edgar Casey's fascinating and anybody who's interested in uh, his ideas or what came through him about reincarnation, there's a book called um, Many Mansions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. uh, uh, Gina, I can't think of her last name, but it was a psychology. Yeah. And she's a PhD and yeah. so forth who studied all that and wrote a book that really, uh, uh explains it all about how we do come back to learn and so forth, what we've been talking about here. So, yeah.
1: You've got a saying, uh, follow your own bliss. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, that really comes from, uh, Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell is, was a, uh, professor of comparative religions. And, uh, he wrote books about, uh, well, his most famous book is probably The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is the idea that uh, all of the myths fr- from every culture kind of have the same plot line, where you, you go from uh, your normal world into a difficult situation, you fight the dragons and and so forth, and then you come back on a higher plane of understanding than when you left on a higher spiritual plane. and. That really is what we do as humans, coming from uh, the non-physical into the physical reality. We we fight our demons. We we're on a hero's journey, and we eventually return on a higher plane than when we left. But he, the advice that Joseph Campbell, and there was a whole series on PBS television back in the '80s that uh, were interviews with of Joseph Campbell. What he told his students when they asked him what he they ought to do with their lives, he would tell them, "Follow your bliss." In other words, figure out what you really love to do, what you like to do, and do that. And he would add, use it to help others in some way. and if you if you follow that uh, formula of using of doing what you love and using that to to help others in some way, you will have a good life and you will be content. And I believe he's right. And that's why I've picked up what he's picked up on. I think follow your bliss. That's, I would I tell that to my children. I have told it to my children and I would tell it to anyone who's trying to figure out what they ought to do in life. Edgar Casey said, we should also set an ideal. And that ideal uh, yeah. is very similar in the sense that you you ought to use your uh, your gifts and your talents to to help others. And that really should be your ideal. So you need to figure out what that is. And once you have that ideal, you it becomes your north star and you follow it.
1: I, I and that is true happiness. I, I can honestly tell you that since I began podcasting in 2015 and sharing stories of history as it really happened, and sharing literature, which I do on another five of our of our podcasts here at, at the network I have, has been bliss for me. I absolutely love sharing classic literature, and I absolutely love researching and sharing history as it really happened. To me, I feel like I'm benefiting others through this, and it's a huge benefit for me as well. But I've done a lot of things in my life. It would take me half an hour to tell you all the different jobs I've had and things I've done, but doing this, podcasting, telling stories, talking to people like you, trying to share knowledge has been the love of my life. And I'm more contented yeah, well, now than ever the my I life. well, that's the way I feel
0: about, uh, you know, the this quest that I'm on and I've write, written a couple of dozen books now and uh, you know, I, I like doing these kind of t- talks because it it's really what I'm interested in. It's my bliss. And I hope that it helps others. And and if somebody deci- out there decides to follow their bliss, then it will have been worth it, you know.
1: Now I'm going to follow the path of this podcast and and get to the real nut of it here and ask you, based on all the people you've interviewed and all the research you've done on this, and I know you've been doing this for years, what's your opinion of life after death?
0: Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that uh, our consciousness continues after after we die, and uh, after our body dies, I should say, we don't die. We, we are eternal beings, and we're right now having a physical experience. That's, that's my definition of what a human being is, is a physical being who is having a, I mean, a <laughs> spiritual mm-hmm. being who is having a physical experience, and we our, our bodies are like I compare them to diving suits. You might remember when uh, people who worked on a bridge or under a boat or whatever, they would put on this big suit with a helmet and all that, and they'd go down under mm-hmm. the water and use their torch or whatever to do welding and so forth. That diving suit enabled them to do that, to go under the water and and work. And what this physical body is, is a like a diving suit that allows us to come into this physical reality to this university of earth and survive here and but it's a temporary thing it's like a raincoat you know or, or a diving suit uh we we come here we spend our 70 80 90 years and uh, we leave we spend time between lives and then we come back when we're ready we come back again uh so to me there's no doubt about it i've I've uh, interviewed as you as you've said I think hundreds of people quantum physicists psychiatrists who do the past life regressions and so forth and near death survivors all of it adds up the, uh, one lady I studied had a PhD in pharmacology her mother died and she wanted to know what happened you know whether she still existed or not so she started using her skills which are really double-blind experiments where you, you uh, <clears throat> that's what you do when you test drugs. You know, you have a placebo and you, have, you know, have the people who take the drug and so forth. Well, she used those techniques with mediums who <clears throat> were able to contact uh, loved ones who were gone. And she, her conclusion, which uh, is published in a peer-reviewed journal, says that, yes, they are able to do that. Uh, accurately without any any, uh, you know, any kind of trickery. So no doubt in my mind that uh, that that's the case. Yeah.
1: What do you what do you think? I've been trying to sort it out. Uh, I too feel that basically our human bodies are a vessel. I do believe that our consciousness will survive my death. How that consciousness operates, where it goes, what it sees, if it sees anything, what it experiences, whether or not it has seven senses, I have no idea. But I I feel that it does. I also feel that we're on a long journey and that I agree with Casey in that matter, that we've come to this life to settle things, to improve, to grow, and that when we go on, we're going to the next class. Uh, The destination, I'm not sure where, but I think it's uh, it could only be better. I think in Eben Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, he said that he did yeah. not uh, see his immediate family, that he was given a guide once he reached that level. Uh, he didn't start at that level. When he left his body, he started at a different level. It was like a murky, below the trees level, and that he rose to another level that he called heaven.
0: Yeah, so, and and the, Evan Alexander is, uh, you know, as a brain surgeon, and he believed that all that exists is matter until he had that experience. And he says he was brain dead, and the other doctors who've examined the data agree with him for seven days. And when he now will tell you, the brain does not create consciousness. The brain is a receiver of consciousness that integrates it with your
1: brain. there you are. He was also a big believer in the power of prayer. He said that for, that on that last day when he came back that uh he had received the message that there were his his little son, I think he, at least a couple of his children were gathered around a table with some neighbors and friends who were keeping up a vigil, a vigil, and he heard one of his little children saying, "Come back daddy, come back daddy, come back daddy." They were praying and that he heard that. Yeah. Um but from his the spiritual place where he was, he heard that, and he said, "I'm I'm coming back," and he did. That was an amazing, amazing story.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, consciousness is is non-local; it's everywhere at once, and that explains some of the phenomena in uh, in quantum physics. But there's a study that was done in 2001 by Columbia University Medical School about prayer, where uh, they had groups praying for uh, women who were in Korea uh, undergoing in vitro uh, fertilization, you know, to have to get pregnant. And there were groups in the United States and there were groups in Australia. And they had one control group that was not prayed for and a group that was prayed for. I think there were a couple hundred in each group. And the group that was prayed for had a 50% success rate in getting pregnant. The group that was not uh, prayed for had only a 26% success rate. And mm-hmm. you know, and talk about non-local. I mean, these are people in the United States. Korea is halfway around the world from here, so it's not a mm-hmm. you know, the mind is is
1: everywhere at it once. It's 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 non-local. There's so many things you can't ignore, like the appearance of UFOs. I won't get into that with you. But I have, through, through the interviews I've done and the studies I've done, I believe that there are uh, vehicles from uh, created by civilizations from other planets that are more advanced than we are. I don't think that's out of the realm of belief.
0: I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that.
1: I really think so. I,
0: I had a uh, boss, my first boss out of college. I was working for an ad agency in Baltimore. Uh, and he was a retired colonel from the Air Force, had been a bit of pilot. And he said that once when he was flying a big transport plane across the Atlantic and he had a crew, I think there were five crew members, a orb, glowing orb came up and flew alongside his cockpit hmm. for half an hour until it finally just shot off in, in a direction in the right in a way that conventional aircraft could not. But he filed a report on that. And yep. uh, that's the last you he ever heard of it. <laughs> and all the crew vouched for it. They all saw it. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no question about it. And, and apparently, you know, we're going to learn more about all this in June. I think the Department of Defense is supposed to release a uh, study or a, some sort of a uh, paper on UFOs and disclose a lot of information. That that they've been keeping secret. So I, I can't wait for that.
1: Yeah, I would be interested in that. I'd be interested in that as well. It's interesting in to June, see that the Navy year. in the last, oh, uh, six, seven years has been more forthcoming with regard to what those some of those guys are seeing. They're allowing them to go public with it now, which is nice. Well, Steve and Holly Martin, you are fascinating. It's been a good talk, and I think we'll have one again if that'd be okay with you. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And please... uh we lost those last few seconds with Stephen and Holly Martin, but I would like you to know that he was trying to share his website, which is shmartin.com. Shmartin, That's shmartin.com. Check him out. He's got a lot of great books, and he's got a lot of things going on, so give that website a look. But I do want to thank him, as well as your listeners, for joining us for this podcast today. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. We do appreciate reviews, so when you get a chance, please do send a review to your favorite host. For 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Everyone stay safe out there, and we'll be back soon.